Welcome to Thrive Church. We are so happy to have you here with us today, whether you're watching online, whether you're watching uh, at one of our campuses, Torrington, uh, Cherryville, New Britain, or for those of us, or those of you who may be watching on TV, some of you didn't realize this, but we have a, a TV show on Channel 59, and today is actually the one-year anniversary for that, so we are excited uh, to be on TV as well. So we welcome you here to Thrive. My name is Judah Thomas, and I'm the lead pastor here, and we are in a series called Tricking Jesus, tricking Jesus. You know, it, it must be hard to, to pull one over on the big guy, right? But people tried to trick Jesus all the time. They were trying to trick him. The leaders of the day, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders were always trying to trick Jesus and trap him. And they were trying to find something to peg on him. You know, they, they were looking for anything. It didn't matter what it was. They just wanted something to stick. And it, it kind of reminded me of, of Al Capone. If, if, if you know who Al Capone is, uh, some of you may. He was a mob boss of the Chicago outfit. And this was many, many years ago. He was a gangster. He was a bootlegger. He was a racketeer. He was the mastermind behind the Valentine Day massacre. And you know what he was ultimately arrested for? Tax evasion. Because apparently, illegal income is still subject to income tax. You know, it's like you think they would just let that one pass. But no, they're like, no, all that illegal money you made, you still have to pay taxes on it. And so they arrested him for, uh, not for all the other horrible things that he did, but they arrested him for uh, tax evasion. And that's kind of like what they were trying to do with Jesus, except Jesus was not a mob boss or a gangster. They were just trying to find anything that would stick. They watched him like a hawk. Every move, they figured eventually he's going to mess up. I mean, they had 613 religious laws. They're like, surely he won't be perfect on all of them. Surely we'll be able to find something that we can get him for. And so that brings us to what we're talking about today in Luke chapter 6, verse 1. It says, One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples broke off some heads of grain, rubbed off the husks in their hand, and ate the grain. Now, some Pharisees saw this happening. And they said, why are you breaking the law? By harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Now, now here they are. They're out there. They're hungry. They, they, they see some, some corn, maybe, some wheat, some barley. We don't know. They, they didn't cook it. They just ate it. Like, this isn't the best meal in the world, right? But at least it was something. Now, you might be thinking, well, what are they doing? Stealing food from somebody else's field. Well, there was a provision in Jewish law, and it was called the law of gleaning. And what that meant was that, that when the, the harvest time would come, the farmer was not supposed to pick the entire field clean, that they should leave some around the edges of the field for the, the poor people or travelers. And even if you were traveling and the harvest had not come yet, you could still go and, and you could take some uh, from the edges that, and, and you could have what you needed. Like you couldn't go and harvest the field and take all of it. But you could go and, and take just what you needed to have a meal to, to uh, alleviate the hunger that you have. And that's what the disciples were doing here. 
They got some grain. They're, they're, they're you know, shucking it. They're doing whatever. They're having a, a little snack on the way. And it says, the Pharisees said, why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Now, what, what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is the seventh day of the week, basically. This was an, an ordinance put into play by God at creation. When God created the heavens and the earth, they created the heavens and the earth in six days, and Scripture says on the seventh day, God rested. It wasn't because he was so tired. It was just because he was setting into play this ordinance of the Sabbath. In your notes, the Sabbath was a promise of rest, saying that, that, that you can toil, you can work, but after that comes rest. Later on in the wilderness, God gives the commandments to Moses. And the fourth commandment was to honor the Sabbath day. And so they were to keep the Sabbath day holy. They were not supposed to, to work on the Sabbath day. When God provided manna for them, they were not allowed to collect it on the Sabbath day. They were supposed to collect it the day before. This is the, the seventh day of the week. This is our Saturday. It was the last day of the week. And they were to keep that day holy. There was a guy in the Old Testament, and, and, and he knew this law, and he went out and, and just decided he was going to pick up some sticks. He was going to gather some, some wood for firewood. And the whole community saw this, and they, they asked God what they should do. And, and as horrible as it sounds, they ended up putting him to death for violating this rule of the Sabbath. Well, as the years went by, they would ponder the question, what does it mean to work? What does it mean to work? And so the Sabbath then became, they, they instituted 39 different categories of rules for what work meant. They had all these different categories, categories like planting and plowing and reaping and, and sewing clothes and skinning animals and writing down things or even completing something. Like you couldn't complete anything. And out of these 39 rules, there was all these sub-rules and you would have to study them. And, and even to this day, Many of these rules, they have to figure out what the, what the modern implications are. For example, on the Sabbath day, it, it is unlawful for them to start a fire, so that actually prevents Jews from, from driving in an automobile because to crank up the car in an internal combustion engine would be creating a fire. Some of you say, well, that's okay, I've got an electric car. Well, to start the electric car, you have to complete a circuit, and there is no completion either allowed on the Sabbath day. You know, you're not allowed to uh, unattach something from something else. Not even if it's, if it's perforated, you can't detach something. So that means, we're, we're, we're going to get a little, a little talking dirty here for a second, okay? If you're going to the bathroom, you can't rip off the toilet paper, okay? So, so you'd have to prepare in advance, and you'd have to rip it all off into the right size pieces so that on the Sabbath day, <laughs> yeah, on the Sabbath day, you couldn't do it. Or, or you could bring Kleenex, apparently, because you're not ripping anything. It's like the, the level of detail that they would think through. You, you can't carry something from a, from a private domain into a public domain. That means that you couldn't carry something for, for, for more than a few steps off of your own property. So if you had a child, if you had a purse, if you had something that you were carrying somewhere, you couldn't carry that off of the property. And as you can imagine, that becomes very, very cumbersome. Like how can you go anywhere if you can't carry anything 
with you. So in Jewish fashion, they, they started gathering and said, well, what, what does this really mean? And, and what loopholes can we make? So they decided that, that if they put a wall around the city, that they could declare the entire city as a private area, and then you could move freely within the city on a Sabbath, carrying whatever you wanted, because now it's essentially private property. Well, as you can imagine, as time progressed and as technology progressed, it became increasingly difficult to build walls around cities. So they said, you know what, we decided, somebody decided, I don't know who decided, that we'll make a virtual wall, a symbolic wall of, of, of sorts. And, and so they have something called an, an A-roof. And an A-roof is a wire that goes around a city symbolically representing a wall. The largest one is in Manhattan. It goes, it's about 18 foot up, and it goes 18 miles around Manhattan Island. It costs them around $100,000 a year to maintain this wire. But this A-roof makes sure that all of Manhattan is considered a private area. So they can walk anywhere they want to. They can carry whatever they want to as long as they're within the confines of this wire. There's over 200 of these across North America. And every week on Thursday, a rabbi drives the entire length, making sure it is intact and it has not broken. Because if it broke, well, then they would not be able to move freely throughout their city. The Sabbath day. Another thing that, that, that some uh, people of the Jewish faith would do is, is they would have someone called a Sabbath goy. And what a Sabbath goy was, is the Sabbath goy was a non-Jew that they could basically have around to do all the things that they couldn't do themselves. So, so they would have them be there, and they could turn on the lights, and they could cook, and they could do all these things. The problem was, was you can't tell them what to do on the Sabbath, but you would have to tell them in advance what you want done and when you wanted it, and then they could do that. Some notable Sabbath goys was Elvis Presley, Colin Powell, and the former president, Barack Obama, were Sabbath goys, going around and doing the things that the Jewish people could not do. Elevators, you can't push a button on an elevator on the Sabbath because you're completing a circuit. So many elevators in the city have what they call a Sabbath mode, means it stops at every single floor, so you don't have to push a button when you board. Imagine getting to the 37th floor, having to wait at every floor to get there. So finally, though, the Pharisees found what they were looking for. They see Jesus' closest friends, his disciples, publicly disregarding these rules. They're harvesting, they're threshing, they're winnowing, they're eating this food that they harvested right there on the Sabbath. Jesus should have known better. He should have taught his followers better. This was a rookie mistake in their minds. Goes on in. Verse 3 of Luke 6, Jesus replied, Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priest could eat. And then he also gave some to his companions. Well, in the Old Testament, this is long before Jesus was on the scene, they had a tabernacle and a temple where they would worship God. And, and every week on the Sabbath, they would bring these specially prepared loaves of bread that they would put in the presence of God. And then they would remove the bread from the previous week, and the priests would eat that bread from the previous week. And so every week they would do this, and only the priests could eat them. But David and his men were hungry, so they came in and they asked the priest, and he gave it to them, 
and they ate it. And it was most likely on the Sabbath while they were swapping out the bread. They're eating this. This was, was illegal in their time. But everyone here, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they all revered David. And Jesus is pointing out simply that David broke a rule in order to take care of his men. And Jesus was simply doing the same thing. See, there was a Sabbath exception. There was an exception to all the rules on the Sabbath. And it was to save a life. In your notes, saving life always took priority on the Sabbath. So if you saw someone hurting or dying or in need, you could break the Sabbath rules in order to save a life. Continuing in verse 5 of Luke 6, Jesus says, The Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Those are fighting words. Like he's saying, I am Lord over the Sabbath. Here you are criticizing my followers for taking a little bit of grain on the Sabbath and eating it, but I am Lord over the Sabbath. Imagine how shocking that would be to these religious leaders who all of their life, they were following the, the tiniest Sabbath law. He's claiming that he's above all of the Sabbath rules. But it was true. After all, he is the one who created the Sabbath. He created it at creation when they created for six days and on the seventh day, God rested. He created it not because he was tired, but to foreshadow a rest that we would all be able to enter in. See, Jesus is saying that he is Lord over all. Not just Lord over the Sabbath, a Saturday, but he's Lord over all the days of the week. And they were more concerned about following a series of rules than about following the Messiah. Are we more focused on following rules in life or are we focused on following the Messiah? In your notes, we are called to follow Jesus, not a bunch of rules. We're not called to live a rules-based life. We're called to, to follow Jesus walking in his steps. Well, then the story ramps up even more. In verse uh, 6, on another Sabbath day, I don't know if it was a week later or when it was, but another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. So I don't know if, if he was brought in there by somebody, if he just wandered in on his own, but he's in there and he's got a deformed hand. And the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. See, this was the trap. They're watching him closely. What is he going to do? What is he going to do? And it says here, if he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Like, think about how, 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 how short-sighted and how shallow this is. They're going to accuse him of a crime for helping somebody because he helped them on the wrong day. So they're watching him closely. They're trying to trap him. If he healed this man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. But Jesus, he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with a deformed hand, come stand in front of everyone. This is how you know he's God and not me, right? Because even if I had the power to heal somebody and everybody's looking at me like that and I know they're going to make some accusations, I'd be like, hey, you, meet me out back after, <laughs> you know? We'll, we'll get this hand taken care of while nobody else is watching. No, that's not what Jesus did at all. He says, come to the front. Come up here in front of everyone so everyone can see you. Come stand in front of everyone. So the man came forward. Then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? 
Is this a day to save life or a day to destroy it? And then he says he looked around at them one by one. He's just staring at them. Like, what are you going to say? What are you going to say to that? Looks around, and then he says to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was immediately restored. At this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage. I don't know if you've ever been wild with rage before. I don't want, I, you know, don't raise your hand about that, okay? But have you ever been wild with rage about something? Usually it takes something pretty significant, like somebody shorting you change at the checkout line, you know, to make you wild with rage. No, probably something worse than that. Maybe somebody hurt you, somebody did something to you, they disregarded you, and you're wild with rage. Here, it says they're wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. Uh, other accounts of this say they, they planned to, uh, they tried to come up with a plan to put him to death. So they're trying to trick him. They're watching him closely. They're just looking for a way they can convict Jesus. And here, at last, was their chance. In your notes, Jesus wasn't defying the Sabbath, but their interpretation of the Sabbath. And see, it's important for us to realize that because we still can get kind of hung up on it. Like, like what's, you know, maybe he shouldn't have done that. And like, I don't know. He wasn't defying the Sabbath, but their interpretation of it. See, Jewish law allowed you to save a life. Jewish law permitted you, if your, your lamb or your livestock fell in a ditch, you could go over, you could help it out, you could set it free. And here Jesus is saying, should we do good or evil? And everyone stayed silent because they wanted to be able to accuse Jesus of breaking their law, as trivial as it may seem to us now. See, they were more concerned with, with their law than with the healing of this man. Imagine that. Like they just saw a miracle for crying out loud. They just saw a person whose hand was shriveled up and deformed, and they saw a miracle of it being miraculously healed, and they're more concerned on the, about the day that it was performed on. It's all they cared about. He could stay deformed for all they cared. See, Jesus was the one who created the Sabbath. He was the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was all about giving us Rest, And if you think about it, Jesus embodies the Sabbath, or Jesus actually is the Sabbath. In your notes, Jesus is the one who brings us rest. See, the Sabbath was an example of how the Messiah would come to bring us rest. See, the Jews were, were constantly laboring they were constantly following the rules and regulations. They were constantly offering sacrifices in order to temporarily make themselves acceptable to God, but nothing was permanent. They were constantly laboring to, to keep all of the laws, and, and they were so afraid that they would miss one, and, and they, were, they were toiling and they were striving, but Jesus came to bring each and every one of us rest. Rest from our labors, rest from this pursuit of fulfilling all of the laws in our own strength. So it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, it says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter this rest, so no one will perish. 
He's inviting us into a rest, a rest that is not constrained to one day out of the week, but this is a rest that he is providing for us. See, because of what Jesus did, we no longer have to labor and strive to keep every law, to keep all of these little laws and rules in order to be justified. And you know, it's because of what Jesus did, we don't need to struggle to be made right with God. See, we don't have to struggle and strive and toil anymore. Now we can rest and we can rest in him because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is our Sabbath rest, not just one day of the week, but always every single day. A question that that I hear from time to time is some people say, well, why don't we celebrate on on the Sabbath on Saturday? And it's like, you know what? The early church, once Jesus came to life again on that first day of the week, that became the Lord's day. And we realized that we're going we're gonna to worship him at the beginning of the week, not at the end of the week. But the reality of it is, is that he is the Lord over every single day. And that he's called us not to live in bondage to rules, that the Sabbath day is not our rest, but Jesus alone is our Sabbath rest. So we can now rest in him. He is our Sabbath rest. See, the Sabbath was created to give you rest, not to give you a heavier burden than ever before. People would study this. They would study this for years. They would devote their lives to understanding all the intricacies of the Sabbath and and how to do this, and it became such a heavy burden on them that if they just slip up now, they would lose all that they've gained and they would no longer be made right with God. And Jesus is saying, none of that matters. I am your Sabbath rest. I am the one who gives you rest. Jesus alone is the one who comes to give us rest from all of our labors. There is no other rest besides Jesus. And we spend our lives straining and we spend our lives striving and we spend our lives yearning to be right with God, but only Jesus gives us that rest. Only Jesus gives us that peace with God. We'll close in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, where Jesus is he's saying to each and every one of us, us who strive, us who toil, us who work, us who try to, try to do enough good things to impress God somehow, and, and he says, come to me, all you who are weary. Are you feeling weariness today? Weary from the things in your life. Weary from the circumstances. Weary from the disease. Weary from the the striving. Just come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. What heavy burdens are you carrying? He's saying, come to me when you're weary. Come to me with your heavy burden and I will give you rest. Not following rules, that will never give you rest. Not trying to impress God by your good deeds, that will never give you rest. What will give you rest is coming to Jesus. Jesus is saying that he will give you all the rest you will need. And you don't need to measure up. You don't need to adhere to the minutia of the law any longer. You don't need to follow anything, in fact, other than following Jesus Christ our Lord. So are you looking for rest in your life? The Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ, is offering that rest to you now. He wants to give you that rest. Rest from the striving. Rest from the the, the attempts to be good enough. Rest from trying to always measure up. 
Rest from trying to be pure enough. Rest from trying to be holy enough. He's saying, you know something? You are not enough, but I am enough. Jesus Christ is enough. And he's saying, come to me. Come to me when you're weary. Come to me when you're down. Come to me when you're sick. Come to me when you're broken. Come to me with your shame. You don't have to fix up yourself to come to me. Just come. Come as you are, and I will give you the rest that you want, the rest that you need. I will give you the forgiveness that you need. I will give you the hope for the future. I will give you the healing for your body, and I will give you the freedom from all of the things that hold you back in your life. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now, and we thank you for your many blessings to us. And we thank you for your word, which teaches us that Jesus and Jesus alone is our rest. That he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he's not just the Lord of the Sabbath, he's Lord of the Mondays, the Tuesdays, the Wednesdays, the Thursdays, the Fridays, the Saturdays, the Sundays, all the days he is Lord. And he's offering to each and every one of us a rest that we could never attain on, on our own. And maybe you're here today and you feel that striving. You've been striving for that rest. Oh, if I could just have rest, if I could just have peace, if I could just feel like things are right between me and God, then I would feel the burden lifted off of my shoulders. If that's where you are, Jesus is offering you rest. He's saying, come to me, you who are weary. Come to me, you who carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. If that's where you are, won't you call on his name? It says in Scripture that if you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved, won't you call on his name now and say, Jesus, you are my Lord. Give me the rest that only you can give. I turn from my past, and I choose to follow you. Lord, we thank you for the rest that you offer us. Let us enter into that rest. Let us enter into that peace that only you bring. Lord, we thank you that you are Lord of the Sabbath and you are Lord of our lives and that you promise us forgiveness. You promise us healing. You promise us restoration and freedom from these things. So we come to you now and we say we put our trust in you. Have your way. Take our burden my burden is too much for me to carry, but it's nothing for you to carry. I come to you weary and broken and heavy burden because I know that you and you alone will give me rest. So we thank you for that rest. We put our faith in you. We put our trust in you. And we thank you that you are who you say you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing.